Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders around the world. We got some, uh, we didn't have a significant amount of news, but we do have some, I think, signature news that's worth covering. I, I purposely parsed it today to find what I thought were the, the best of the news that's out there. So these are going to be the big ones. These are not going to be your, like the smaller tokens. There's some stuff about those, but I don't think that they're worth your time. From my perspective, you are free. and I encourage you to take a look at some of these sources and make your own determination. I just feel personally that they were not worth your time. At the bigger picture, though, Bitcoin's price has gone down a little bit. It is not tanked again, but it has gone down a little bit. It's still kind of in this fluctuating pattern, and we were able to trace this back to some motion, like there's actual activity happening with Bitcoin, and we do think that there's going to be situations where there's hoarders in the word that people are holding on to bitcoin they're hoarding it they're not transacting it and when you don't have transactions it tends to harm the price so as we look at the graphs and we look at the details on what's going on with bitcoin in general we don't see a you know you have bearish sentiments in the sense that nobody's right nobody's buying but we also see that people are not they're not dumping it so they're not getting rid of it. They don't, it's not that they don't believe in it. I think it's actually the opposite. I think people are holding it because they expect that it's going to skyrocket. And there may be some inside, as far as the large money players, you know, hedge funds, celebs, banks, et cetera, that are working to try to spike the price at some point later. I think that a lot of the hold, from my opinion, is predicated on sentiment from what the governments have been doing, talking about the bans and the crackdown on mining and, you know, the president of the United States going out there putting executive orders because he can't wait for Congress to do things. And I think that's driving a lot of this is we're just seeing people are reacting and holding on to things while they wait out the storm. If that's the case, then that means that it's a waiting game. and We don't know how long. And the worst part is that we don't know how long this is going to take. We don't know how long we're going to be stuck in this groove where we are held hostage because, as I said before on multiple occasions, Bitcoin itself going down harms other cryptocurrencies because it, to kind of break it down for those that don't kind of understand the layout of it, everything is interdependent. So when you think of fiat, whatever your fiat is in your country, fiat is what essentially backs these cryptos like Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, Solana, Cardano, Doge, fiat essentially backs them, meaning that there's no value to them, these cryptos, without some sort of fiat. The stable coin is the, it's basically the rendition of that fiat. So there's an equivalent, as we expect, amount of fiat that is pegged, as it said, to the stable coin. So whether that's USD Tether, USD Coin, which is another one, DAI is another one, Binance USD is another one, and so on. So let's say that, you know, this exchange over here has 1 million USD Tether. There's an expectation that there's 1 million of fiat, and in this case, United States dollar, sitting somewhere available, ready to go to pay those people when they go cash that out. This is what caused the whole murmuring with Tether and the United States government is because they found situations where they believed that there was not enough fiat to support the cryptocurrency. So we don't want that because if you couldn't pay those people or there's not enough essentially liquidity underneath the stable coin, it destabilizes the actual crypto that depends on it. So if you say, I've got a million USD tether and we have, we're using that as liquidity to support bit, you know, this token over here, not Bitcoin, but another coin over here, 
if that money's not really there or you run out of USD Tether, the coin, now that token loses its value. So they're all linked. It's all linked together. Fiat's linked to a stable coin of some purpose, whichever, and this could be Bitcoin directly. You could have USD dollar directly tied to Bitcoin, and we've seen that, and then inflation affects it or the fiat's linked to a stable coin and because of an, a lack of resource, meaning we ran out of fiat or there's a disconnect between how much fiat and how much stable. Now it, when we figure this all out, we have to rebalance it. We have to figure out what's the real value of the crypto that uses that. So if it's Bitcoin, they say, Oh, well, we're missing a hundred thousand dollars of this. It's really only worth $900,000. That's going to affect the price of Bitcoin. I wouldn't be too much concerned about what I just described. It's simply to inform you that because everything's linked, we, we're not in a world where I think the vision was for cryptocurrency, which was that cryptocurrency would stand alone as its own currency. And I say that because one of the people I wanted to interview on the show, and we're trying to work out schedules, and based on an email exchange I had, we're going to try to lock that down this week. But his whole messaging had always been that we want to try to make cryptocurrency in general stand alone and be independent from fiat the challenge of doing that is that then it really truly has no value at all and it's just a currency and then it's fair market 100 percent that's a that's a pipe dream because everybody's going to want to tie it back to fiat i've said on multiple occasions at the end of the day the current expectation i'm talking in the current state of the world and his messaging was back in 2011 so just to give you a sense of how long this sentiment has lasted the current sentiment of the world is that fiat is, generally speaking, used to transact. They want you to spend it. They want you to go to work and make more of it, and then they want you to spend it again. The general statement around cryptocurrency has been for store of value around the fiat and equivalent to it because that's the way our stock market works. So we moved away from just the crypto has its own intrinsic value to somebody and more to a world where the crypto's value is almost directly, not perfectly directly, but almost directly correlated to inflation and deflationary activities, which means that we always have to consider fiat when we are trading cryptocurrency. Because fiat's in the way, that means that the governments have some control over how it behaves and the hedge markets, hedge funds, and the banks and everybody else can influence the price of these things. When we accept this and we reconcile that, okay, it's around the link between fiat and crypto and we accept that, that means that the only real true solution would be to perfectly decouple crypto from, from stable coins. No crypto's ever done that because they can't because it drives liquidity. In other words, you wouldn't be able to buy it without some form of currency to purchase it. So the pipe dream of having crypto be off to the side was never going to work because you're always dependent on something else. And so what do you exchange? Like if you go back to the old days of, and this is every country, right? In the olden days, you might have people who were really good at making clothes or blankets or something else. They're, they're good at knitting. They're good at sewing. They're good at crafts work of some kind. And then they sell their products on some sort of a market and in that case, they're exchanging for currency. But in the in in some cases, you might be doing a straight trade. You know, I'm I have blankets, I have them available, but we need cows. Okay, I'll trade you one cow for ten blankets. Right? We just do a swap, and it is what it is. And there's no fiat involved. We just know you have something I want. I have something you want. We're long past that world, folks. We are not in a world where people are willing to do that kind of a trade 
outside of things like a, you know, what is it? Craigslist.org or something. Right. So, or a neighborhood swap meet, right. You know, or maybe a garage sale, but even in the garage sale, people are going to want to just pay money and buy a thing. They're not really doing a trade per se. That's not a common thing. I don't think certainly not in the first and second world countries. I don't believe that we've, I think we've moved away from it because fiat governs it all. So what am I saying? What's the point? What's the, what's the summary? The summary thought is no matter what we do, I believe this is my opinion. I believe we'll never be at a world in our lifetimes where the cryptocurrency stands alone as a currency and it will always be tied or pegged in some way to fiat at some level, which means that we're never going to get back to a world where the value of those is separately determined from where fiat's going and what fiat's doing. That means that we have to embrace it for what it is. If we get to a point where we are smarter about how cryptocurrency is traded, I think it's possible, but I, I submit that won't happen in our lifetimes. That's my point. And so when we see people hoarding Bitcoin, they're not hoarding it because there's intrinsic value in Bitcoin itself. They're hoarding it because of the fiat equivalency they expect later when they think it's going to spike to $100,000 USD in a fiat form and they want that cash. At the end of the day, they want to get paid. We know that to be true. There are certain cryptos like Monero, which I believe is XRP a symbol, which isn't traded on Coinbase. It's, it's kind of underground and it's a privacy-based coin. I've never covered it because I don't directly support it. But there are coins like that that are trying to do it, right? And they get banned off the exchanges and then they're kind of traded underneath the ground. But for what? Nothing. There's no real intrinsic value to them except within the you know direct peer-to-peer. Well, at some point, you're never going to entice the people who are still fiat-minded to get into this thing because they're always going to say, I want to open up my Coinbase and buy this thing, and they never will be able to because it's not compatible with the fiat tide of trading. So I think you're going to have almost a caste-based system. You've got two different classes, technically three, but primarily two different classes of people. There are people who are doing this because it's profit and it's potential for profit. I am one of those. I recognize that that's what it is and that's the reality of what it is. And I'm okay with that recognition. And then there's some people who stick with the vision and they say, no, it's the vision of cryptocurrency and it's separate. And I want to just transact with crypto off to the side. Here's the truth, folks. And I'm not criticizing you. I'm saying, here's the truth. You're never going to convince Domino's Pizza as an example, I'm picking on them. Domino's Pizza, right? Pizza shop, and I think they're pretty much international at this point. You're never going to convince them to come up with pricing around cryptocurrency to accept a pizza order that has nothing to do with a fiat equivalent. What they're doing, if they do accept crypto, they're taking the crypto and they're turning it into fiat on the back end. Do whatever merchant that they choose to do it. Because at every level, it's going to come back to fiat. Everything is around fiat. Everything we buy, everything we sell, everything is fiat related. So you're never going to get to the world where crypto is the be all end all. Because it wouldn't make any sense. Because for them, everything in our ecosystem is embedded around a fiat logistic. So I'm not saying that to criticize anybody. I just want to be clear. That's, that's how I stand. I don't think, I think the, it's a pipe dream. And that's why people are hoarding is for profit, not because they're trying to do fundamentals. And it affects anybody who does want to do fundamentals because you can't. Speaking of fiat and speaking of how this all ties in, Request Finance is a newer company. It started 
spinning up because they saw this move towards trying to get crypto to be the way that it works. And so if you have, you have a number of different like Coinbase and others that will take your fiat and turn it into cryptocurrency, we can do this now. And it's pretty straightforward. It doesn't take a lot. There's a lot of people that now they were very frustrated with the workplace and employers and caused what's called the great resignation. You've probably seen it in the news. It's a legitimate thing. I'm part of it, frankly, but not for the reasons they did. What happens is these workers, they want to work from home. They want to have more flexibility. They want to have more control. They want to control their destiny and they want to be able to just contribute to a business without being dictated to like a slave. Because if you think about at least in the United States, how employers are treated versus employees, the employers get basically everything benefited to them. And then the employees are expected to just take a check and they can be abused. You can be fired for any reason. That's at will employment for those that don't know what I'm talking about. And they're shocked. Like what? We have at what's called at will employment. They can fire you for whatever they want as long as it's a legal reason, right? So they could just simply say, we don't have any work for you, so we're going to cut you. And they don't have to give you notice. They don't have to give you pay. They don't have to do anything for you because it's legal. If you don't have work, you don't have work. That's why we saw so many layoffs happening in Disney and everything else. So this has pissed a lot of people off, rightfully so. They're very frustrated and upset. But now we're seeing a lot of these workers that are making demands to advance with the times. If you listen to our other podcast, one podcast entry I did, it's called Gentleman's World. Hit our site, CryptoTalkRadio.net, and you can access Gentleman's World. One of the episodes I talked about was the refusal of the hiring process and the onboarding process to evolve with the times, to get with newer ways of doing things. One episode I haven't done yet, which I plan to do, was to rethink the payroll process and think about how we can get creative about how we pay people. It used to be back in the day, everybody paid weekly. Weekly is an awesome cadence because you never know when a bill is going to hit, right? And so you get paid faster. Even though it's smaller, you get paid faster. Every company pretty much moved to a biweekly pay cycle. Well, the problem is the bill could come flying in there and now you're forced to stockpile. That's okay, assuming you got paid enough money in order to make that make sense. They're banking on the idea that pay is going up and that you're constantly making more money and that the biweekly is not a problem. But as you've probably heard about or seen, salaries are not going up frequently enough. We're seeing inflation take off, but the salary is not going the same rate. Let me give you some numbers so you can wrap it ahead. And it, it goes directly to this request finance. That's why I'm giving you the background. When you are a, a general developer, software developer, right? It used to be that you could command how much you want to get paid because of the skills you bring. You can prove I can do this that you want. And you would say, this is how much I want for that. And it usually it's going to be minimum $100,000 a year in USD. And some people make up to like 300000 depending on the state, depending on the company. There's a lot of variation, but it usually you can start about $100,000, period. We are seeing salaries, you can see it now, where they're offering like 70000 a year and 65000 a year because salaries have been depressed. Because what happens is people get in desperate points, like with the pandemic, and they lose their job and it's hard to get back into work. And so they figure, the employers figure that these workers are going to be desperate and they'll just take a lower pay. Meanwhile, the employer is just pocketing this profit, even though the work that they're doing, the employee, is expensive work. It's hard work. Remember, to be a good developer, you're going to have to go through some form of education, regardless of what it is, and it's going to be expensive. You paid for that. Then you stack on what I talked about on another episode, which is the so-called on-call, where they basically can abuse you and say, 
we'll only pay you a hundred grand, but we can make you work for 24 hours if you feel like it. And we're not going to pay you any extra. That's legal. That's by law in the United States. You're like, what? Yes. Because they don't at the time they said, well, we don't have a way to track the time. We don't know when they're working. We don't know when they're not working. We have, we have no way to track that time. So we can't do hourly. We need a better way. And so the government passed a law that said, okay, just flatten it, pay them a flat salary. The, the, here's the give and take of this. What was supposed to happen with that agreement was if we flatten this, it means that it goes both ways. If the worker only needed to work five hours a week, you will still pay him full salary. However, the employers force you to fill out 40 hours on a timesheet. So even if you only worked five hours, you still have to figure out how to pad it the extra hours. I don't know if you follow any layoffs or anything else, but there was a whole big thing on the news about a company where the CEO went on to Zoom and they laid everybody off. And one of the things he said was, well, you had people who were filling out the timesheet and they were only putting like eight hours on there. Well, yeah, because by law, they are legally allowed to do that. If they only worked for eight hours, you're still supposed to, supposed to pay them full. That was the agreement. But every company forces you to fill out 40 hours, even if it's bull, even if it's not true. So some of you that are international are listening to this and you're like, how can anybody work in such a banana republic? That's what caused the rise of the great resignation is people are, uh, part of it is people are getting smarter to the fact they're getting abused to the fact that some of these are not fair and they're not treating you like a valued asset of the company. They're treating you like a number and they're treating you like you're disposable. So what happens? We start seeing with the pandemic that yes, you could work remotely. You could make this work and we could all be efficient and effective. But now that the pandemic's kind of waning a little bit, you're trying to force everybody back in an office. Well, people don't want to go back in the office because they realize that their work-life balance improved. They realized that it was easier to get the work done, easier to focus, and they were less stressed because you didn't have random people walking by sitting in an open floor plan, which is garbage. Now, what we're seeing is people are saying, well, you know what? If we're going to be in this and for companies that really want to buck the trend, you wouldn't want to get me in there. I want to make sure that we're paid either in crypto or supportive of crypto. So because that supports what they want to do, which is that I don't have to be tethered to a bank, right? You're thinking, wow, that, that actually is pretty compelling. Yes, because the bank is the last piece that ties you between your employer and you getting paid. There's a bank in the middle. The bank has to either, you either get a check issued from that bank or you get paid through direct deposit through your bank. And so you're forced to have this bank in the way. Well, banks have issues themselves. So now workers are saying, how can I get crypto so I can just get it straight over here and get it to where I don't have to care? Because the other problem is if you're international, it's hard to make those payments over, over the oceans. Come and send request finance. Their site's request.finance. They are not my token. I just want to talk about them as part of the news because they came up on the radar. And what they're doing now is we're issuing payments with crypto, be crypto native. Basically, you can pay invoices with crypto. You can pay salaries with crypto. You can pay with cryptocurrency and you can do the, the whole blockchain and everything else for accountability because it's all public information. This is a compelling use case to me. I was, I was enjoying seeing that somebody stepped up to try to do this, to try to make something where we can solve that, that gap I talked about of the dependence on fiat and the reliance on banks and the need to be able to simply pay and issue cryptocurrency as opposed to having to pay through something that translates to a fiat. Check them out if you think it's interesting and a compelling use case. Request finance, sites request.finance. Check it out. I'm very excited about what they're actively doing 
because I do think it's the first step to getting us to the next point of the process and trying to get more of the middleman out of the way, plus also solving other issues. Like they talked about credit card fraud, right? That's a, that's a huge thing about when businesses are hesitant to take credit cards because there's fraud, how you get situations where, okay, this business, they have, they're sitting on a bag of a bunch of crypto, but they don't have any liquidity. They don't have any money, like actual money in their banks because they're waiting to get paid. But they want to pay you something that has some value, intrinsic value. They can't do it, and so then invoices go overdue. In America, pretty much the, it's more that they're overdue than they're not overdue, which is a big problem. Well, now you provide an option where we got this crypto bag. Can I just pay you in crypto so you have something? So we show there's good faith. This is huge. To me, it's huge. I was excited to see it come out, and I think it's going to be a big thing in the future. As I said before, I think it's going to take a while to get to that point of capacity, but I, I like to see that at least somebody is stepping up to try to solve the problem. The last bit of news I will talk about is Bing X. I've never heard of Bing X, but Bing X apparently got full approval for performance in the United States and Canada. It is an exchange, and the I got a couple things. I'll cover them on a more detailed update later at some point later because I want to give them the right time to be fair to them. But I do think that the problem with many of the exchanges, many of the trading exchanges has always been that many of them are just variants of a thing. They always do the same thing that you can think like with Coinbase or with Robinhood or Webull where they, because it's in the United States, they're very hesitant to list some of the, the lesser cryptos that you might think out of there, the ones that could actually make you some money. They're hesitant to do it. And so the ones that where you could do those are running under the radar. The difference from what I saw from Bing X is that it does have many of those smaller cryptos. You've got SHIB there, you got Floki there, and SHIB's kind of up there now, but you got Floki there, uh, Starlink is there, it's another one that I was talking about, SOS is another one, uh, NFT is another one, Spells, another one's been under a lot of controversy, but it's, it's one of those lesser so-called penny-type cryptos that might be of interest to people. Uh, Chicks, um, Lime, Boring, Jasmine, Jasmine's come up on social media quite a few times, so if they don't have everything, so to be clear, they don't have every single one. They don't have a lot of the ones that you might expect that they should have. You know, the things like Satama, for example, they don't have that one, as far as I can tell, anyway. Uh, or Kishu. I don't see Kishu here. I don't see Tenshi. I don't see a lot of the Avilis. So one of the ones I might expect to see, I don't see them, but it's better than nothing. And the fact that they at least have the ones they do have tells me that hopefully they're working on getting the many other ones because it is somewhat newer. So then there'd have to be a process to onboard those, but because it's now available, it's another tool. If you were not too sold on, you know, Webull or Robinhood or Coinbase. And here's the beauty of this for anybody that's on Robinhood and you're waiting for SHIB to go on Robinhood, this one has SHIB. So please consider this one. It's legal. It's authorized in the United States and Canada to buy your SHIB and you can get right in. And then later when Robinhood gets out of their, their hole and decides to list it, you can just transfer your SHIB over to Robinhood and be fine. Like, but at least right now, go ahead and buy in if that's what you want to do. So that's all I got on the news for you today. Like I said, it wasn't a lot, but there was a lot of important ones and I wanted to make sure I talked about those. I'm going to dig into an underdog. I don't want to call it an underdog token. I'm, I'm not going to call it what I think of it because I want to be fair to them. But I am going to cover it, and I want to be, you know, as transparent as I can be. And just to clarify, when I evaluate a token, I have a tool, 
And I've talked about the tool. I've actually covered their token, but the tool is called Market Move. And Market Move does an analysis. It's got a AI tool built into it that does an analysis where it can scan the contract and determine if there's anything that it believes is fundamentally wrong with it. So that's one of the first things I'll do is try to see if there's anything fundamentally wrong with this guy that would tell me that there's a, a strong risk. So it does an initial scan and it'll come back and it'll say, hey, we see these, these problems. And then I have to determine as a trader and you would need to too, is this such a problem that I'm not willing to go forward with it? Or is it not a big deal to me and I'm willing to accept that risk and be okay with it? So you have to make sure, you have to make sure always, don't just YOLO into anything. Don't just jump into anything. Don't react when you see a green chart because it doesn't necessarily mean that it's successful. It just means that right now there's something to it, but there's more behind the scenes and you want to make sure before you commit any money that you do investigation. Sometimes it's not sure. Sometimes you're like, I don't know if this guy's going to go anywhere. And what you ideally should do then is put a little bit in, but don't YOLO into it. Like maybe you just toss like a $5, $10. I have people on social media being critical of my strategy, but you got to think about it. If you watch and see a thing, you want to make sure that, hey, this is not going to rug pull you. It's not going to creep you. It's not going to scam you. It's not going to do anything. Okay. So doing a $5, $10 gives you a sense of it, gives you a taste of it, lets you test the community, lets you test how they respond, see the price movement in a safe form. And when I say $5, I don't mean literally five. I mean, whatever money you're like your throwaway money, or as Virgil and WWF would have said, F money. I don't want to say the word, but you know, throwaway money, money you don't care about, money that's just throwaway. I can lose it and it's fine. There's no problem investing that throwaway money into a project and seeing how it behaves because that means you're testing the waters. You're dipping your foot. It's like a tub, right? If it's, you don't know if the water's hot enough or too hot, so you dip your toe in there and just kind of see, okay, that burned. I'm going to back off, add some cold. That's what you want to do. Or it's, it feels right. I'm going to go ahead and get in there and I'm going to just sit and marinate. That's how you should treat, I believe, these ones where you're not really sure. It seems legit, but you're just not sure. Put a little bit in there marinate it, see how long it takes for it to either impress you or depress you. So the token I'm going to talk about is called Drip, Drip Network. Site's called drip.community. And I'm going to clarify a couple things here. This token has has had very strong upward performance since it launched. It launched, I want to say late last year, December, November. Looks like November, possibly November. Actually, no, it's been around longer than that. Sorry. Longer than that. So sometime around the beginning of 2021-ish, somewhere around there. And it's had very strong performance since it launched. Very strong performance. Now, here's the issue that I saw immediately. The way that I have to explain the, the, the strategy behind this. I had to explain it. So the way that this works it's built under a structure that's called in the mainstream outside the bubble. It's called what's, what's called an MLM or a multi-level marketing scheme. I don't want to call it a Ponzi, but it's close to a Ponzi. But is, as long as people are doing it, it does work. The problem is, is that it depends on people doing it. So, Or a pyramid scheme is another way that it's called. Here's how this works. Again, I'm not in the bubble at this point. I'm talking the general that everybody knows it. If you went to MLM, if you search right now, MLM scheme, 
you're going to get tons of hits that break it down with images and you'll see that basically the way drip works is the same way that works. An MLM, the only way you're going to make any real profit on an MLM, and it started, by the way, in the insurance space, but it also has other aspects like with um, auto sales and others where you have, let's say you buy in to a thing or you join a thing. The only way you're going to make any money is by way of recruiting, quote unquote, people underneath you. And then you get a portion of what they close or they sell. And then those people get a portion of what they close and sell. But everybody, whoever's at the top, gets a slice of everybody underneath them. So picture that you go to your friends and you're like, okay, sign up on this thing. You're going to make X amount of money. So they do this and they're like, okay, cool. Looks good. I'm going to tell my friend. And then they tell their friend and then they tell their friend. So let's say you get four levels deep and you do this times three. So you get three friends at your level and then each of them sells a single person and then that person sells a single person. That person. So you have, let's say 12 to 16 people that are all feeding money up into you, but it's based on constantly adding more people. So the person at the top's getting rich like nuts, but everybody below, as it goes down, they're not making as much money unless you can keep on recruiting, unless you can keep on getting more people on board. That's an MLM. That's the pyramid. That's how it works. It is, you have to have some additional people involved in this thing in order for it to continue its velocity of payout. So with Drip, they did a similar concept, but using airdrops. So you would buy in and you would have a share link or a refer link and you would distribute it to people and you would tell them, hey, go ahead and buy in here. You have to put a, a portion, you have to buy a portion in to get a stake and then you have to recruit more people in order to recoup it. So you're already at a negative ROI the moment you join the thing. And then you have to recruit people in order to recoup that. And then you have to recruit more people or have them recruit more people in order for you to essentially gain profit. So you're constantly having to engage people. Well, if you think about it the way I described it, it sounds brilliant, right? Because you're increasing the holder counts. You're saying, yep, we want more holders. We want more people, more people, more people, more people. The problem with similar type schemes is that at some point it's not going to sustain because either you're not going to recruit people like you need to, or people are going to drop out. They're going to sell whatever. So the team did something I thought was brilliant to try to hide the, you know, the way this works. They said, okay, we're going to constrain the inventory. It only had a million in the total and the max supply is still a million, but the circulating is only a hundred thousand. Well, let's think about this mathematically. If the circulating is only 100,000, which I don't believe is true, but let's say that it is, of a million, 100,000 of a million, that means that it has a 10x opportunity. Its price spiked, I want to say as high as like $300, or, uh, about $200, $200-ish, somewhere around there. At the peak, at its highest point, I believe that's the highest ever got. Okay, that makes sense with the total supply. It doesn't make sense with the circulating supply. Because if I'm looking at it from a circulating supply perspective, and I'm, I know that from your paper, you told me that this whole thing is based on constantly adding more holders. If that's true, how is it possible that it still has a 10x of growth, right? So right off the bat, the numbers didn't make any sense. Because it, your market cap doesn't lie. It doesn't lie. Your market cap right alone is a 10x market cap. Because your su supply and circulating supply is a 10x in gap as there's 9x still that's allegedly not circulating, which means it hasn't even been done yet. Okay, but you're already getting close to $200 per coin based on what you did already. 
and yet you still have this gap, which means that this thing, if we're honest with ourselves, should be as high as like $2,000 per coin. Is it possible? Sure, but it's highly unlikely. It's on the Binance Smart Chain, number one. But number two, it's highly unlikely because it doesn't do anything. Like there's no, it's not actively being used. There's nothing that encourages an active transaction. There's nothing that encourages money movement. There's nothing that encourages this thing to have the volume that supports the market cap gap closing it. That Do you see what I mean? Like, so if, if we're not transacting it, again, you buy in, you sit on it, and you recruit other people. What they built in this, because they, they, they did a lot of research on this dude, and what I just described to you in terms of money movement, what they did to try to cheat, in my opinion, is they built it to where you do airdrops. So what you'll do is, as your stake, you're gonna air, you're gonna get some profit, right? Fed back up, but you're gonna airdrop some to other people. This then gives the illusion of actual volume and money movement, but it's not real. It's not real because you're not. There's no, there's no liquidity changing. If I move coins from wallet A to wallet B, nothing has changed in terms of circulation. None was added to circulation, and none was subtracted to circulation. It simply moved wallets. The, the circulation is pretty intelligent logic. It knows when circulation is truly happening because of the liquidity actually being affected by the activity that's taking place. So if your liquidity never moved, that means that there was really no true activity. Thus, the circulation didn't change. And if your circulation is not changing to me, from my perspective, your fully diluted market cap, which right now sits at about $12 billion, is is crap. That's my opinion from what I see because it doesn't support. If I look at the volume and I look at how it's been moving price movement, there's no reason that I should see a fully diluted that large on the inventory numbers I'm seeing. It doesn't make any sense because your circulating is, if we were to believe what it says, and I'm looking at the numbers straight on coin market cap, you look at yourself. If we're to believe that the circulating is only 100,000, which is only 10% of total supply, but yet you're fully diluted, which is every single token in supply is going to be worth this. And we're dealing with a model where in your own white paper, which they do have a white paper, in your own white paper, you straight up say, no, just airdrop to other people. And you know that the airdrop has no liquidity shift. And ultimately, all that's going to happen is people are going to sell for profit, which means it's going to decrease the liquidity over time. There's no way that this has a 10x growth potential because the, the basically the pyramid, the house of cards, is going to fall because somebody in the middle who sells out has now affected upstream and they've lost their downstream because there's no longer a link, linkage. So this one strikes me as a highly, highly risky asset. I'm not telling you whether to buy or not. I'm saying that to me it's a highly risky asset where its price movement doesn't make any sense to me. And there's some trickery and magic, and you talk about spell token, this is where the magic is. There's some trickery or magic or, or you know, whatever that's causing price activity that's illogical because it doesn't correlate with the numbers. So when I see that the fundamental numbers can't, don't, don't tie and don't make any sense and nobody can explain it, I'm skeptical and I would not advocate buying in and I wouldn't buy in myself. That's why I said I, this is the one where I would not buy in because I can't, I can't fully explain how it would sustain under the MLM strategy that they're doing, because most MLMs don't sustain anywhere near like this. And we're talking situations where MLMs have been around for ages, but they usually come and go. Well, they come and go because the first one never supported. So it falls apart and then somebody else spins up another one. That's where the whole talk about Ponzi scheme came around. And if you look at various forms of social media, people are talking about it. it's a pyramid scheme, it's a Ponzi scheme. 
and all they're doing is they're cashing out on things and make a quick buck and they move on to another one. It's a period, you know, it's going to fall apart. And there's people, I think, see the same thing as what we see. Now, some people got smart. They bought in a little bit. They sold, they bought it like a tiny, like a $50 or something. And then they sold when it peaked at like 150. And so they made some profit and moved on. That's actually a smart strategy if they were able to do that. But you'd have to been in early. You'd have to see it early and recognize that, hey, this is going to fall apart. And then you're okay taking profit out of it. Sure, no problem. But I think what's happening, I see also, is some investors are getting smart. They're just setting up separate wallets and they're investing into each wallet to create more of that pyramid. This one is so fluffy and so risky and so it's like glass. It's like fragile glass. It's it's gonna shatter at some point, in my opinion. And I don't, I don't, I don't think it's right. And I don't, you know. This is like where regulation comes into place, stuff like this. Anyhow, Drip Network, drip.community, take a look at it. If you don't believe what I believe, please, by all means, do it. And uh, again, don't YOLO into it. Please don't. And, you know, if you make it work for you and you get some profit out of it, all the better. That's all I got for you today. Hopefully that's been beneficial and helpful news. Be sure to check in tomorrow for more updates. And please do share and subscribe if you found this information helpful because I, I need your help to get the word out to more people about what we're doing.